You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast, where each fortnight we chat about dealing with those pesky weeds. Welcome to the Weed Smart Podcast. I'm Jessica Strauss, and on this edition of the podcast, we're going to be chatting to Northern Grower Alliance CEO Richard Daniel about the results they got from a survey they recently did on optical spraying. Some of the results were quite surprising, especially when it came to how farmers were using their sprayers. So we'll talk about that a little bit later on. And we'll also be hearing from Cotton Australia Chair Hamish McIntyre. He explains why the Roundup Ready Extend cropping system from Bayer is so important for cotton growers. Hamish also provides some context around why ensuring the stewardship of this product is so essential. Peter Newman does join me. How are you going, Pete? Oh, I'm very well, Jess. How are you? I'm not so great. I could potentially lose my voice throughout this podcast recording. I've woken up with a very uh, uncomfortable throat, but we'll get through it. We're going to power through. How are you so going? You want me to do all the talking? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm fine. I'll do all the talking. <laughs> yeah. If your voice cuts out, I'll just cut in. Perfect. Thank you, Pete. How are you going? Well, uh, very well, very well. I guess the newsworthy thing uh, in Australian cropping anyway, Jess, is the grain prices. We're seeing some, I'm not across all the pulse markets really, but the uh, wheat and canola prices, I mean, they're bouncing around a bit, but they're high. So very positive. And yeah, one of those times when US and Canada are not having a great run and it's impacting on the prices and hopefully a lot of Australian growers can get a half decent crop this year and capitalise on those prices, Jess. Yeah, they're pretty crazy prices from what you were saying uh, off mic, Pete. So what are some of the drivers? Obviously, the weather conditions, those drought conditions. Is there anything else that's going on that's driving those high prices, do you think? Yeah, well, with the canola, they also banned neonicotinoid insecticides in Europe, which is also driving the... So I guess they're growing less canola there, so that's driven the canola price up. But yeah, now we also have these dry and hot conditions in the US and Canada. So, yeah, look, there's no point in trying to pick where the market's going next, but right at the moment, Jess, we've got some pretty buoyant grain prices, which is fantastic. Yeah, no, it's great. And today in the podcast, we're going to focus on a couple of things. First up, we're going to be talking about cotton, and there is a big crop predicted for cotton for the next season, and so that's why it's so important for us to talk about this Roundup Ready Extend cropping system. Pete, what's your take on this system? Yeah, Jess, it is just that thing where we talk a lot about mix and rotate and we particularly talk about mixing herbicides these days and and this system allows growers to use multiple herbicides over the same weeds. So we're talking about glyphosate, glufosinate and dicamba uh, all targeting one weed population. So a triple mix is, um, you know, it's a very positive thing for managing herbicide-resistant weeds. Well, let's take a listen and hear from Hamish McIntyre, who gives an overview of the stewardship and also just a bit more context around why this system is important. In this interview, we're catching up with farmer and Cotton Australia chair Hamish McIntyre. He's going to be telling us all about the Roundup Ready Extend cropping system and how it fits into his farming system and also why it's important for farmers in his region. Hamish does farm at St George in Queensland. He's got 3,200 head feedlot and grows wheat, barley, chickpeas and cotton. And according to our Northern Extension agronomist, Paul McIntosh, cotton is going to be a very large crop next summer. And so ensuring the stewardship around weed control in cotton farming systems is really essential. So we're going to talk through that with Hamish today. Hamish does join us. How are you going, Hamish? Well, thanks, Jess. Yes. 
We mentioned in the intro there that you're also a farmer yourself. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your farming system in St George, Hamish? Yes, we have a diverse farming uh, system at home where we basically are value-adding everything we produce through our beef cattle. We we breed in southwestern Queensland and southeastern Queensland and, uh, you know, uh, through our own family feedlot and then those animals are processed at meat works in southeast Queensland. Yeah, so we grow approximately 20,000 hectares of crops annually in a rotation system, about 3,000 500 hectares of that is irrigated, depending on water availability, of course, and the balance is rain grow and cropping. Anything from fodder crops for backgrounding cattle through to cash cropping, you know, wheat, barley, chick- chickpeas, faba beans, mung beans, etc. So uh, depending on markets, we uh, roll with the times, uh, keeping a very open mind and thinking about those agronomic rotations. So weed control is a big part of what, and particularly Roundup, uh, resistant weeds that are popping up, feathertop roads grass particularly, is something that we're all dealing with on a daily basis. So technology like we're about to talk to, it will be a great help, we hope, uh, controlling some of these tougher-to-control weeds. Certainly, Hamish. And, yeah, we are going to talk about Roundup Ready Extend crop system today. But can you just give us a little bit, uh, our listeners probably, they would be familiar with this system, but for those who might need a bit of a refresher, can you give us an overview of what this system does entail? The system entails uh, applying Roundup Ready over the top of our existing cotton crops. So years ago, we always used cotton chippers and other residual herbicides to control weeds, but the technology Monsanto uh, developed the trait they put into the cotton, uh, our cotton varieties, our Syro team on their behalf has been a game changer for the industry, obviously reducing the requirement on tillage and also uh, casual labour. And the Extend Flex system has takes that to another level. It gives us another two more chemical mode of actions for that over-the-top control of these weeds, glufosinate and dicamba. So on top of the uh, Roundup action that's uh, in the in the structure. So it obviously gives us another two chemistry families that will assist in controlling these uh, resistant weeds. Yeah, definitely. And Hamish, you did used to chair the TIMS committee, which does stand for Transgenic Insecticide Management Strategy. And this is an industry committee for those who aren't familiar with it, organised by Cotton Australia. And its purpose is to develop and review cotton industry resistance management strategies. And you did touch on it there. Obviously, herbicide resistance is a high priority. What was TIMS' role in ensuring the stewardship around the Roundup Ready Extend crop system? And, and yeah, how do we ensure that stewardship into the future? We just work in conjunction with uh, whoever the chemical company is that owns the trade. Um, in this situation, it's Bayer. So, and are helping them develop the stewardship resistant management tool that we can effectively use as growers. Obviously, provide to them the practical side of it, what will work and what won't. It's more an advocacy role, and obviously, uh, it's in our interest too to to not overuse these products. So, they are commercially available for us to use, you know, in our farming systems for a long period of time uh, other countries around the world other countries around the world with these traits in their cotton varieties due to lack of stewardship uh, lost commercial viability of these traits very quickly so tim's committee has provided an effective mechanism in conjunction with the trade owner you know originally it was monsanto now bay owns most of these traits to increase the longevity of the trait, which is a great benefit to we as growers in Australia, but also from a commercial point of view too for the companies like Bayer. So Tim's provides the grower 
interactive face with these chemical companies, if that makes sense, to help all of us work together to you know, increase the longevity of any of these uh, traits that uh, are brought into Australia that have been introduced into our cotton varieties. Yep, that makes sense, Hamish. And so you kind of touched on some of the points of why this is an important system for cotton growing regions in Australia, but can you just spell it out in a little bit more detail of why this uh, Roundup Ready Extend crop system is important to control weeds in particular? The two new uh, chemistry options that are in in the new Extend Flex system will give us more flexibility, controlling harder to control weeds, particularly vines in certain areas, and also some of these Roundup resistant grass species we hope to have some effect on them too, you know, like feathertop roachgrass. So combination glufosinate and dicamba with Roundup just gives us a, a more effective tool to control these weeds that are developing resistance just to pure Roundup. So it's just another couple of modes of action which will hopefully increase longevity of all these technologies. It's in our interest to make sure we apply them appropriately in our farming systems uh, that we don't obviously cause off-target issues to, you know, with riparian areas or other crops. We have to be very careful as we introduce these new technologies that, that we are very aware of our surrounds and uh, obviously hit the target that we are aiming for, and that is on our own farms and a real responsibility that this technology doesn't move off farm and uh, affect your neighbours' crops or riparian areas around our farms. So it's great technology. It's got a huge fit to uh, help with resistance control and just gives us more flexibility. But at the same time, we need to be very, very careful as use it in Australia. We don't have off-target effects that, you know, America went through those issues which caused a lot of problems. We have to be very careful that we, uh, we're conscious of the conditions, obviously, for application. Definitely, Hamish. And, yeah, as we've mentioned already, glyphosate resistance, obviously a massive issue. And uh, as you've explained, this system does involve over-the-top application of glyphosate as well as dicamba and glufosinate ammonium herbicides. But, uh, Hamish, I did want to ask you what other big six principles growers can use aside from this Roundup Ready system to prevent glyphosate and other herbicide resistances. Yes, I mean, going back to our traditional methods, you know, methods of inter-row cultivation, of course, that, uh, that, that was what we had. It was a combination of inter-row cultivation some residual herbicides, and that's still very important to use in our programs, even with this extend flex technology, and also chipping very, very resistant weeds. So that's a manual labor side, which is extremely expensive these days. But in our uh, rain grown cotton system, this technology is very, very important to operate in the minimum till production system, the dryland cottons, we call it. So, uh, you know, cultivation, you know, is not an option to them in many situations. So, Again, this uh, technology will have a huge fit for our dryland cotton producers in Australia, uh, but it, it's even more important in those um, cropping systems to make sure that, yeah, I'm just emphasising the importance of um, that when we, as farmers in Australia, use this technology, that where we wish to apply it, that's where it is applied and stays there, you know. Yeah, definitely a good message, Hamish. And what's the uh, feeling out there? What's the perception of this system in cotton-growing areas from what you've seen so far? There's a mixed perception. Some producers believe, you know, a phenoxy-type technology had more than two 4D traits could have been a greater benefit to us. But anyway, this is what is coming to Australia via our system and our uh, organisations, which are Bayer and, 
and cottonseed distributors particularly uh, are taking us down this track, it will be of great benefit to us. But, it, yeah, I just keep re-emphasising this fact that uh, we have got to make sure that the application of these products is done you know, within label guidelines, do not have off-target damage uh, anywhere in the environment or on other crops. Definitely, uh, Hamish. And uh, we did mention in the intro to give some context around how important having these other options for weed control is and gave a bit of a hint at there being a very large crop next summer for cotton. Can you give us a bit more info on that? What's the estimations in terms of how many hectares there's expected to be? Yeah, with water available in their cotton-growing valleys uh, throughout Australia and the subsoil moisture profiles are developing with this great winter we're having, we're predicting that there could be approximately you know, 450,000 hectares of cotton planted throughout Australia. So that's a huge turnaround from where we were. It was only two years ago that we uh, only produced 600,000 bales of cotton, which was our lowest crop in 40 years. And if we are to to plant 450,000 hectares next year throughout Australia, you know, potentially we could uh, see a crop of four and a half million bales or more up to five million bales. So time will tell, but it's a, uh, a much improved outlook from where we were a couple of years ago, just to the water and storage right throughout the Murray-Darling Basin, but more particularly to the uh, soil profiles that uh, are building up right throughout the cotton growing belt. Certainly, Hamish. And yeah, so given that those estimations are where they're at at the moment, which is exciting, it's obviously yeah so important that our growers are completely across how this system works. And so thank you so much for sharing the information with us today. Did you have anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap things up, Hamish? No, not really. It's just we are very conscious of an industry in Australia, the importance of getting this right whenever we have something new in our toolkit to help us uh, operate agronomically in a production cycle system in this base cotton, we just have to make sure that the rollout of it is not rushed and it is done effectively and carefully. It just will not do us any good as an industry uh, if we as growers get this wrong because off-target damage uh, is not acceptable. We need as farmers to ensure that the products we apply to our crops, you know, stay there and, and do not move off farm. So I just really like to emphasise to everyone to please really operate within those label guidelines that are stipulated and set out on these products. Certainly, Hamish. Well, thank you once again for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you so much to Cotton Australia Chair Hamish McIntyre for taking the time to have a chat with us there about the Roundup Ready Extend cropping system. Pete, he emphasised in that interview how important it is to be aware of the potential for off-site damage, particularly with dicamba. Obviously, that was a massive issue in the US. What's your take on that? Do you have any other tips or comments you'd like to make? Yeah, really, just to reiterate it, Jess, he just said stick to the label and Really, yeah, do your stewardship, get to know the product and do it right. We don't want a repeat of what happened in the US. And yeah, I'd like to think that if it is done well, that, that we can avoid those problems. Certainly, that's a very good point to reiterate, Pete. Now, up next, we're going to be hearing from Richard Daniel. He's the CEO of the Northern Grower Alliance. And they've recently done this survey on optical sprayers, Pete, and uh, yeah, basically getting a bit of a bigger picture of how growers are using them. And the survey, Pete, is a bit framed in that context of this being relatively new technology. But of course, camera sprayers have been around a while. But I suppose maybe there's not been a whole lot of research on camera sprayers compared to some of the other approaches and I guess it is kind of newer compared to other methods Pete what do you think? 
Yeah, well, it's, it is new for some growers, Jess. They have been around for 15 years or more, but um, like you say, there are still plenty of growers who are considering whether they invest in this technology. So, yeah, they are new for some growers and would be brand new for someone who adopts it now. But, yeah, it is really, I mean, the survey is great. It's a really good look at some of the practicalities of adopting this technology and then helping farmers make the, the decision whether it's for them. Yeah, and Pete, we always do talk about that adoption curve with new practices and tools. Where do you think we are at with the camera technology? We're into the dependables here, Jess. The large group of growers that have sort of watched the pioneers take it on and and the early adopters or they're also known as the doers, (laughs) depending (laughs) which model you look at. But yeah, we've got this large group of farmers that we call the dependables who do things very well, but just tend to generally watch technology for a little while before they jump in. So, yeah, I think, you know, still still plenty of people looking to adopt this technology. And also we've got green on green machines coming, Jess, and that are out there now that can also do green on brown. So um, there'll be a, a lot of adoption of, of that as well. So, yeah, camera sprayers will, whether it be just pure green on brown or a green on green machine that can do both, is certainly going to be uh, ongoing technology that, that we're going to see a lot more of. Certainly. All right, well, let's take a listen to Richard Daniel. Optical sprayers are still a relatively new technology and they are still a pretty expensive investment. Many growers are still at the stage of determining whether they might be a good fit for their farming systems. So in this interview, we're catching up with Richard Daniel, who is the CEO of the Northern Grower Alliance, to find out about the results from a recent survey they conducted on optical spot sprayer setup and use practices to get a bit of a better picture of what's going on in this space. Richard does join us. How are you going, Richard? Morning, Jessica. Going well, thank you. That's good to hear. Uh, Now, I just wanted to kind of get a bit of an overview of what, from your perception, is the main motivation that farmers have when considering getting camera sprayers. I know they're out there in the space, but it would be interesting to hear from your point of view, you know, given you've done this survey, what the motivation is, you think, for farmers to adopt this technology? Look, the, the principal one, of course, will be managing costs. So it's trying to you know, reduce herbicide costs. But on top of that, there are some specific issues in terms of uh, the weed scenarios. It's management of hard-to-control weeds. It's also management of increasingly herbicide-resistant populations of weeds. And probably tied in with all of that, it's the opportunity to use some more expensive chemistry where it can be targeted on 5 10% of the area that might not be affordable if it was going over a, a blanket spray or a broad acre spray. Definitely, Richard. So you've done this survey. What actually prompted you to go out and do this survey? Probably two main reasons. Firstly, from a Northern Grower Alliance point of view, we were wanting to see if there were any common threads in terms of scenarios or setups where growers were getting high levels of success using the equipment or conversely, setups where they were consistently getting poorer results so that we could target some validation or extension work in terms of what some of those uh, those key aspects were. The second part was because the, the equipment and the technology is still relatively new, it was probably a good time to get some sort of benchmarking done in terms of how people are using it what they're using it, as well as their setups and, and practices. 
Yeah, I think it's a really helpful survey that you've conducted. And so, yeah, we're going to get into some of the details of what you focused on in the survey and what the results were. So what were the main areas that you zoned in on when uh, putting the questions together for this survey, Richard? From our point of view, we were most interested in the sort of setups, the sensitivities, the situations they've been using those optical spot sprays. But to do that, we also had to capture some of the basic demographics. So that went back to the style of machinery, width, you know, a whole range of, of basic parameters as well. Okay, great. And so let's dig into some of those results then. So there were several key points that were raised from the survey answers and we'll focus on a few of them. What did you find out regarding the average travel speed that people are going and the water rates that people were using on average? Look, the results there probably weren't terribly surprising. When you look at the average travel speed, it's slow. To use these machines at the moment, you really are wanting to be probably under 17 kilometres per hour and roughly two-thirds of the users were in that, generally in that 14 to 17 k's and there's a reasonable number who would be below 14 kilometres per hour. You know, that's one of the constraints of the equipment but it's, it's certainly one of the important ones or aspects in terms of getting consistency of control. Same sort of statements apply to the water volumes that are used. In general, 100, 125 litres per hectare being applied, but there's quite a few who are applying more than that and getting up even over 150 litres per hectare. That's going to change a little bit depending on the weed density, sometimes on the weed size. They might slow down a little bit, so obviously their water volumes are going up. But it's also one which, again, isn't surprising where actually identifying what that water volume that has been used or applied is actually quite tough because it's going to depend on how many nozzles are coming on for each of those weeds and a ratio of that across the whole spray job. So it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a grey area in some respects. Yeah, no, I understand. And I just wondered, Richard, were there any really surprising results that you got out of this survey where you thought, oh, we're really going to have to do some work on extension on getting this right? Or, yeah, did anything crop up like that? Look, in terms of the scenarios where growers were having most consistent success, it really was focusing on keeping those travel speeds quite low. Certainly the water volumes as per the manufacturer specifications but to me, one of the key ones that came through that yeah, perhaps was a little surprising was there's been quite a dramatic shift, or I, I would have read it as being quite a dramatic shift in the way people are using the equipment. So quite often when they purchased the gear, it was seen as a, a bit of a salvage option, a herbicide resistance tool. Where we've been speaking to these growers, probably within a couple of years, it's become nearly a tool that they're using for the vast majority of their fellow spraying. So it's sort of changed in terms of the position or the usage they've had. And the more they're using it, the lower the weed seed bank, so the more suitable it is to use the equipment more frequently. And so there are a number of the growers where they said, look, We've got to the stage now where we're spraying all our fellows and pretty much as soon as we finish, we start again. Yeah, right. Very interesting. And, <laughs> and that's a way of getting on top of um, some issues with spray misses on very small weeds 
if they're turning around and coming back four or five weeks later, even those ones that were too small still are a good size for being cleaned up the next time around. Yeah, very good. So there's, there's, which is quite a different usage really to what a lot of them thought they were going to mm. have when they first bought the machinery. Yeah, for sure. And uh, what are some of the other uses for optical sprayers that came up in the survey? I suppose, and it's, it's a little bit of a hard one because so many of these might even overlap. When we looked at that sort of salvage spray type option, which to a lot of people initially was a, a key reason for the optical spot sprays, you put a broad acre spray down, you've had herbicide resistant weeds or large weeds that have come through. And by the time you've uh, been aware that they haven't been controlled, the weeds are getting very large, so it's a salvage job, that's where a, an optical spot sprayer would come in. Roughly a quarter of the, the respondents were using the equipment that way. A lot were using it where they were targeting hard-to-control weeds. Um, in our environment, it might be things like flea bane, um, common sow thistle, particularly when it's glyphosate-resistant or tolerant, the top roads grass where we might have to do a double knock approach and so quite often they're using it for the either first knock second knock or, or both of those and then there were probably 30 percent or so of the respondents who who responded that they were using the the optical spot sprayer in all the passes they were doing from a fellow management point of view Okay. So it sort of ranges, <laughs> yeah, it, cool. it ranges between those different segments. Oh, very interesting. And uh, Richard, you mentioned at the start there that obviously this technology does open up some of those more expensive herbicides that uh, might not be suitable if you had to use traditional spray methods. So what did you find in terms of herbicides being used? Was that kind of reflected in the results that you got? Yeah, look, it, it, it's an interesting one as well. Certainly having access to optical spot spraying equipment has allowed for the use of active ingredients like glufosinate in Basta. And, well, it's a product which is much more used in horticulture but has a, a pretty good fit from a fallow management point of view except for cost. And so there are now some registrations for that active ingredient to be used from an optical spot sprayer point of view and it really is helping out for some of the key weeds that we have in our farming system. The other interesting part, I suppose, was that initially, I think, or a common thread, initially a lot of growers were trying to use weed-specific treatments. So it might have been we're trying to control barnyard grass or we're trying to control feather-top roads grass or flea bane. And having perhaps a specific mixture that suited that that weed. The more, or the, the way we've read some of the results, the more experience and use they've had with the equipment, the more they've been developing robust, broad-spectrum treatments, which ties into spraying pretty much all their passes with the same gear. So rather than just going in to target a, a specific weed, they're using it in terms of a trying to cover everything from a, a fallow point of view in that particular spray. And so it's really trying to get an all-rounder type mixture or, or treatment that can mm. be used. 
Yeah, interesting. And what about weather? Obviously, weather has an impact on what people do in terms of spraying. What did you find for the results in the survey in considering weather conditions and the impact on weed control? From the respondents, probably one of the major limitations and the major concerns with poorer jobs is wind speed, and particularly when you're dealing with crosswinds because from a normal blanket or broadacre spray, that wind hits, but you've also got all the other nozzles upwind or downwind to, to provide that coverage. In the case of a spot sprayer, that can obviously have a pretty major effect. So that's one of the, the biggest management issues, I suppose, in terms of getting consistently good results is, uh, is that wind speed and even more so wind direction. The other one that came up much less frequently there are a number of growers or operators who would either avoid spraying at sort of first light and also middle of the day where they might be getting a bit more glare and perhaps not as good a resolution of the weeds in terms of the detection. But apart from that, there weren't too many other things uh, which were indicated from a weather point of view as, as constraints. Okay. You know, just like a normal broadacre spray. Yeah, okay, great. And so... Obviously, we've talked about the fact that, you know, the surprising result in the survey results was that use pattern of the optical sprayers. Do you think that is something that will influence more growers to adopt this technology or is there any other considerations or messages that you think might be influential in getting people to consider this technology? The big constraint at the moment is the upfront cost of machinery. To a degree, it's the availability because there don't seem to be a large number of contractors with that sort of equipment either. And so it all comes down to the economics on, on particular properties. The larger the area that's being farmed, obviously the easier it is to justify that cost. But I suppose the other thing that will help going forward is where there are additional uses for the equipment. And I suppose that's reflected by some of the uh, feedback we've got from the growers in terms of how they're using the machinery. They might have thought it was only going to be salvage spraying or some of their resistance management issues. And the more comfortable and the more familiar they've got with the equipment, the more they've realised that they're using it, in some cases, as nearly their primary fellow management sprayer. And by that stage, suddenly all those benefits of reduced herbicide cost accruing spray after spray and suddenly your payback is a lot quicker. Sounding like there's going to be some really interesting case studies coming out of uh, people using this technology. We've already seen some, but I think as time goes on, it definitely seems like there's going to be some really interesting stories. Oh, absolutely. And even in the group we interviewed, there are a couple where they shared a machine between two properties. Again, because of that upfront cost, and the property sizes weren't quite big enough to justify it individually and they've got a, a cooperative arrangement so they're essentially both winning. That's great. Okay, Richard, so we've given a good overview of those survey results uh, so far, but I did want you to now just uh, change focus a little bit and look into the future a little bit for us. I wanted to ask you what you think the future of green on brown technology will be. Do you think this technology will continue or do you think with green on green technology that can also do green on brown that that technology will take over? What's your perception there? Oh, gosh, look, I, I think for... The short term, the green on brown is probably going to be the major focus, but there's absolutely no question that 
again, to get most benefit out of the investment, you're wanting to use it as much as you can. So if we've got green on green capability, as well as being able to, you know, so capability of targeting out those weeds in crop, as well as the ability to be using it for all our fallow management, it suddenly makes it a much more valuable tool on the farm, quicker to, to pay back. It's all going to be driven by cost, I suppose. And as that green on green technology improves and gets easier and easier to apply, you'd expect that would probably take over. And that merely came back, certainly came back in terms of some of the the wish list type messages at the end of the survey. Growers are looking at getting better mapping capabilities for some of that, that equipment so that if, if they know that you know they've had some patches of feathertop roads grass or some other problem weed, much easier, much quicker to be able to get back there next time or maybe go and do something with some residual chemistry in those small areas. They're certainly very keen on green-on-green capability because they get more value and usage out of the equipment. The other one that came through quite clearly from a large number of them was high levels of success in terms of control jobs was often linked to having a good operator and a consistent operator. And that can be, you know, that's a bit of a a balancing act to some degree because uh, someone might find themselves just doing all the optical spot spraying, Mm. you know, many days of, of every week, which can be a bit of a, might become a bit mundane. Yeah. But that also leads into the extra issue, which is looking at the autonomous machinery. Mm. So that's where, you know, getting the robots in yeah. you know, or roboticised um, optical spot surprise is, is probably going to be where we get to. Yeah. So we know we've got very good consistency, we've got the speeds right, that's probably where we're going to get to, I suppose. The other one that growers are very interested in is what could be done to improve the technology to allow perhaps use at higher speeds or using slightly uh, stronger crosswinds. And so there might be some tweaking that can can occur there in terms of how to better set up the equipment to use in those, those sort of scenarios. There's no question when you've got big acres to cover or big areas to cover, having to keep to 14 or 15 kilometres per hour. It's not ideal. <laughs> it's not ideal. Yeah. But again, that's where the autonomous units come in where... Mm. They can be just set set off and, and running and that, that speed isn't such an issue. Richard, there was one more question that I wanted to ask you and that's just in relation to some of the barriers. We have mentioned some of them already, but was there anything really clear that came through in the survey as a barrier? Look, one of the challenges at the moment is that there are limited product registrations for high rates of herbicides through an optical spot sprayer. We can use the equipment with the broad acre rates without any problem. But at this stage, we're really still in that catch-up mode of getting new registrations coming through. And the only other one there is perhaps the use of the equipment on undulating country because of the variability in height of the camera and the nozzles. 
that can have an impact in terms of control. Okay, interesting. Thank you, Richard. We are just at the beginning of this technology and I think it's so great that you've done this survey because it does really highlight some of the interesting use patterns that are that the technology is being used for and it's really interesting to hear about those those wish lists as well because obviously that is going to drive the future of the technology, the farmer's experience. So, yeah, I think that's been so valuable for you to chat with us today. Oh, look at this stage. It's only... Yeah. I think you find with any of these surveys, you get to the end of it and go, wow, there's a whole range of other questions and, yes. and hopefully others can take take that on in Certainly. terms of, of, of where to next to start teasing out further needs or, or anything else. Certainly. Well, thank you so much, Richard. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you so much to Northern Grower Alliance CEO Richard Daniel there giving us an overview of that survey that they ran and got a bigger picture of how farmers are using optical sprayers. Pete, today we have focused on a lot of the different herbicides that can be used within different farming systems. Can you give us a little bit of a wrap up of how these two interviews we've done today are a bit connected? Yeah, they're completely connected, aren't they, Jess? The, the first one, Hamish talked about a system, uh, Roundup Ready Extend, where it is a combination of three herbicides that you can use on the same population of weeds. And Richard Daniel then talking about the camera sprayers, which allows growers to use a combination of herbicides in that camera sprayer, which normally might be uh, a little expensive if you had a blanket spray. But given that it's a camera spray spraying over a small area, we can use those more robust, sometimes more expensive mixes. So yeah, mixing herbicides, always a good thing, Jess, and multiple mixes of Different herbicides that are active on the same weed is a very good herbicide-resistant weed strategy. It certainly is, Pete. And thanks once again to our listeners for listening to the Weed Smart podcast today. A big thanks to our guests once again, Richard Daniel from Northern Grower Alliance and also Hamish McIntyre from Cotton Australia. Our next regional update, Pete, is going to be out next Monday and we'll be talking to one of our Weed Smart Week presenters, so don't miss that one. We've also got a new article on kicking the herbicide habit. Very herbicide-focused podcast today. And we look at how random weed surveys are continuing to to identify an increasing trend in herbicide resistance across broad acre cropping regions in Australia. So we get comments from Dr. Peter Butsalas and also John Bruster who uh, yeah, add their two cents in there. It's a very interesting read. But Pete, Weed Smart Week is just around the corner. What do people need to know? Yeah, Jess, uh, just a reminder that they can buy the tickets now and uh, for Esperance Weed Smart Week, the early bird price is $190 and that ends on the 31st of July and then that price goes up to $250 after that. So if you're planning on going, get your tickets sooner rather than later to get the discount. Uh, a link to the tickets can be found in the show notes. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We post seasonally relevant information on weed control and promote good discussion. So you can also sign up for our monthly blog, the Weed Smart Whip Around. Our content from last month is featured, so it's easy to get all the latest news in one spot. And we'll provide the link to that one in the show notes as well, so you can easily sign up. Thank you so much, Pete. And just finally, it would mean the world to us if you could help us by spreading the Weed Smart message by sharing this podcast with your friends. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcast, which is also a massive help to get the word out. And if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed on your podcast app of choice by searching Weed Smart Podcast. But until next time, thank you so much, Pete, for joining me. And thanks to you listeners for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thanks Jess, I'm glad your voice held in there. I made it. <laughs>